Thank you, Annalise, for sharing your story with us. It's um, inspiring, isn't it, to learn from others how God leads us, how he directs us. And uh, we do want to be a church that prays for you, supports you. So please get to know Annalise. She'll be here a few more months. So welcome to West Shore. My name is Ian Campbell, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And today I want to continue uh, our study through the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 54 and 55. And what we're going to learn here is that the kingdom of heaven is a culture of invitation. That God is always wanting to invite people to come closer, to step in, to get to know him. But here's the sad thing. When you interact with people out there who aren't necessarily, you know, attending church anywhere, the fact that you find is that most people don't know that God is good. They just don't know that. They, I don't know, the Bible says again and again that God is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He's good. But somehow most people tend to think that God is angry all the time. Have you, have you noticed that? And I think if you would ask people to represent God, they would show this, you know, old man just looking with sternness and anger, brow furrowed, not happy with you. It's like the story I heard of a uh, parochial elementary school. And so it was lunchtime and the kids were, you know, lining up to get their lunch trays. And at the head of the food line was this bowl of, of just beautiful, shiny red apples. But one of the nuns had written a note that said, take only one, God is watching. But then at the end of the food line was this huge plate of chocolate chip cookies. And one of the kids had scribbled on a napkin, take all you want, God is busy watching the apples. <laughs> one of our core values at West Shore is, is to know God as he really is. To know God as he really is. And this is harder said than done because, you know, it feels more like uncharted territory for us. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts at all. And so we often struggle and wrestle with just what he says and what he really means at times. And, you know, if you're new to this, and you may be here just starting to attend for a few weeks, you know, I want to encourage you. Um, those of us who attend West Shore, we are not superhero Christians who have, who have everything figured out. No, we find that at West Shore... We can struggle together. We can come into this relationship with God and get to know him for who he is. And so I want to encourage you. You may have a lot of questions. That's okay. This is a good place to come to be a part of this journey. But the fact remains that some of us have developed a mindset about God in which we really think he's more about rules. And that's kind of how we've known him for so long. And we have yet to experience, really, the fact that he wants a close relationship with us. And yet we don't want to come too close because we're so aware of all the rules that we have broken. Right? Are you, do you feel like that sometimes? That, that you would just kind of rather keep a safe distance. And for many then, you know, church doesn't feel like a safe place, actually. And so people stay away. And so how are they going to hear that God is good? And so when we talk about developing a culture of invitation, what we really want to do is reflect the Father's heart. Because he sent Jesus, and we see through Jesus' life that he was always inviting people in. 
And this is what Isaiah 53 and 50, sorry, 54 and 55 is trying to get us to understand that we too are supposed to be a people who invite others to come to know God. God is so good, and yet most people think he's the opposite. Most people don't realize that God is able to welcome us because of all the good that Jesus has done on our behalf at the cross. And now, because of that, the invitation is open. You see, when there's fear, for some people coming to church is more like when you have to go to the principal's office at school. Nobody likes that. Nobody feels safe in that moment. So when there's fear, even if you didn't have anything to hide, you're thinking there must be something that is going to be found out. And so you stay away. But you know when there's love, when there's total welcome and acceptance, then even when you do mess up, even when you do fail, you don't have to hide it. That's the beauty of this relationship with God. I remember a time when our second son, Alexi, was just, he had just started driving and he had managed to buy an old car and he was backing out of the garage and it was a stick shift. And of course, you know, being a young man, he's proud to show off that he can drive this thing. And so he's backing out. And you know how it is when you're learning, you kind of overcompensate. And he was being very careful not to scratch his car up against the jam of the garage door on the right. And so he kind of got his car cockeyed so that it was backing out at too much of an angle. And he just slowly backed right up against the fender of my car. And he didn't know it. And he was thinking, oh, I got to give this thing more gas. It's not moving. And he did. And he just pressed the right fender right into the tire. And he got out of the car and he was just, oh, no. What have I done? But, you know, he came into the house and he found me wherever I was sitting. And he just said, hey, Dad, I'm really sorry. I just backed into your car. I'm really sorry. Come, I, I want you to come look at this. And, of course, you know, he was, he, he was emotional about it. But I was thankful that he came in and he talked to me about it. And we went out together and we inspected the damage. See, that's the difference. When you, when you know you're in a relationship where the foundation of that relationship is love, then even when you do mess up, you don't have to hide it. And I'm so glad that he didn't try in that moment to try to, you know, just kind of pretend like it didn't happen or find a way to let some days go by without mentioning it, hoping that when I, whenever I did see it, you know, I would think, who's the guy in the parking lot who backed into me and did this and didn't tell me? But he didn't, you see. And I think this is key for us to understand as a people of God who want to invite other people in. Are we able to extend that kind of grace and mercy and, and love when there is a mess and say, you know, you've come to the right place. See, if all the people out there seem to be unsure of who God is, well, then there's something we should do about it as his people. We should be concerned about that. And so when I think about this church and how we could become a culture that is always inviting people in to know the Father for who he really is, it excites me. It makes me so happy to be here. And the reason we can be sure that God is about inviting people in is because of Isaiah 55. Let's read that. George read it, but I think it's worth mentioning again. Come, everyone. Come, everyone who thirsts. Isaiah 55, 1 to 3. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. 
Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Come. Do you see that? Everyone. It just says everyone. If you're thirsty, if you're hungry, come. Come to me. Now, does that sound like an angry God who's out to get you? Or does that sound like a father who's calling his children to come in and know him? I remember when um, my friend Byron, he's, he's, he's part of our community. Uh, a few years ago, he got baptized. But um, he told me his story. He grew up in a biracial home. His, uh, his mom was from Asia, Japan to be exact, and his dad was Caucasian. And so, you know, he was, he was different enough. This is 40 years ago. He was different enough at his school in Mechanicsburg that caused people to just bully him all the time and make fun of him. And on top of that, he had a bit of a, a dyslexic problem. And so when he would read out loud in class and stumble along in his words, the kids would just mock him. And you can imagine growing up with that kind of uh, environment where you don't feel safe, you don't feel loved, you feel like everybody's out to get you. And very soon, even into his adult life, he fell into great depression. He tried to fill the void in his life with all kinds of things. And he, you know, started taking drugs and became an alcoholic in time, addicted to pornography, you know, things that you just try to give you some sense of feeling something and nothing satisfied. And so he was in and out of counseling for long periods. And um, at one point, he said to his counselor, I think God hates me. And she was wise enough to say, you know, Byron, maybe you should talk to a pastor. And he had been walking around this property, believe it or not. He thought it was a school, but he'd come in the evenings and he'd walk around and kind of just be alone. But after that conversation with his counselor, he, it dawned on him that this was a church. He thought, oh, this is a church. And so he called the office and the call was put through to me. I happened to be here. And uh, we met. And as he walked into my office and I said, Byron, how are you? He said the same thing he said to his counselor. I think God hates me. So we sat down and I said, well, Byron, tell me about that. What, what makes you think that? And I would have done, and I did what, just what you would have done. You know, you, you, you just start to say, you know, Byron, that's, that's not the full story. That's not the full story. God has been waiting for you. And he is inviting you today. See, Byron had been hungering and thirsting for a relationship with God all along. But he, he probably would have never allowed himself to come into a place like this because he was aware of all the stuff he'd done. And yet he needed somebody to meet with him and just say, you know, God really is inviting you to come near. And here's why. And when he heard the good news, he immediately said, well, I want to receive Jesus now. And so we, we knelt down right then and there. And he prayed. We prayed together. And he became uh, transformed almost in that moment. And now two or three years later, he's really changed beyond that. But you see, this is it. God is inviting people in all the time. But they don't know that. And there's plenty the devil does to keep people believing that God is out to get them. And so when we think of becoming a culture that is inv invitational 
and is making it easy for people to come and start interacting, that's what we're talking about. We want them to ultimately know the Father's heart and be reconciled to him. But, you know, it's not easy hearing things when you've been used to fearing something for a long time. You've probably experienced that. People tell me that when they first start interacting with Christians again, for a long time, they don't really hear the words. They're so busy trying to posture themselves in a way that's safe and guarded that they don't really hear the truth of the words themselves. And so what I'm saying in becoming a culture of invitation is that we also help people hear God's invitation well. And that may take some time. God talks about the difficulty we all have hearing him. I don't know if you, you guys know there's a difference. Well, if you're married, you do know this, actually. There's a difference between hearing and listening, right? I don't know about you, but, you know, Jenny, my wife, reminds me all the time about that. And, uh, you know, we'll be talking or something, and she'll say something. I'll say, wait a minute, I didn't know that. And she'll say, Ian, just the other day, you were sitting right here, and I told you that very thing. You weren't listening. But then, you know, other times, I can be in the farthest corner of the house or, you know, out in the garage or outside doing something, and I'll hear, supper time. <laughs> her voice sounds so sweet then. So, I just want to be with her. But, you know, why is it? Why is it that some things we, we don't hear at all and other things, they're like music to our ears? Well, it's the same when people begin to step closer to God. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of, you know, anxiety. And they don't always hear everything. But we can help. And I guess the, the place for all of us to begin, and most of you have already begun this, you, have you heard God's invitation? Do you know what that sounds like? Well, in fact, it, it doesn't sound good at first. This is, this, is the, this is the challenge. When God first starts talking to us, it doesn't feel like it's good. Because the first thing he says in so many words is, you know, without me, you're dead. You're spiritually dead without me. And people actually react to that. People are offended when you try to help them understand that without God in your life, without knowing Jesus, you are spiritually dead. And they become offended. And they say, what do you mean I need God that way in my life? I'm perfectly fine. I have a great job. I have a great family. I'm a success. And you're telling me I need Jesus that way? Well, the truth is, yes. Yes. And so when we first hear God speaking to us when we don't know him, it does take some, some time to work through what that really means. And that's where you and I can help. But God de definitely says this, right? He doesn't make any bones about it. In Ephesians 2, 1, let's read that together. This is God speaking. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is God's verdict. He's unequivocal about it. You are following the course of this world. You are following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. See, that's good to, tell, to say to people. We were all that way. We all felt things were fine. And then we had to reckon with this truth. God is telling us without him, we are spiritually lost. Among whom we all once, once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, 
like the rest of mankind. But God, being so rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace, for by heaven's empowering grace, you have been saved through Jesus. We know that. So we can see that God is very clear about our state before we come to him. And this is part of learning to hear God's invitation. Oh, you who are thirsty. Oh, you who are hungry. That's what he's getting at. Do you recognize that about yourself? And most people don't. Most people think life is okay. Well, at least my life is fine. But they need to hear. You know, it may be good to remind ourselves that when God created Adam in the garden, he did it in such a way that helps us understand what spiritual death is. Or soul death, we might say. In Genesis 2-7, it says that the Lord God formed the man from the dust. Right? He took dust from the ground. And then look at this. It says, and God breathed. He breathed into the nostrils the breath of life. He breathed into the nostrils that breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the word there is nephesh, which means soul. God took something earthly, dust or clay, and took something heavenly, his own breath. That's what he did. He made man out of something that was lifeless, but by breathing upon it, it came to life. And this truth about man, man and women, men, men and women, mankind, is that we are made from something that's material and we're made from something that is from above God's very breath which gives us that capacity to be spiritual which simply means I think that we can have a relationship with God even though he's not seen so you're much more than just chemicals and molecules you are also somehow God's breath has come into you and wanted to make you alive in a relationship with him. But here's the thing. The story goes on to say that man disobeyed. Man sinned. Man entered into rebellion. And everything begins to die. And this is what God said would happen. So there's both a spiritual dying and a physical dying. The spiritual dying has tremendous consequences. The, the physical dying does as well. I mean, you know, now sin has entered into our very bodies. It's almost like our DNA now. But also spiritually it has consequences, huge consequences. Because immediately Adam and Eve are forced out of God's presence. And all of us who descend from Adam are also incapable of being in God's presence. And we have to live kind of in the shadows. See, from this point on, our sinful condition cuts us off from the intimacy that God wanted to have with us in a relationship. Now, most of you who have come to church for a while, you know all this. But it's helpful to remind ourselves, how can we help others hear the word of God and, and respond to his invitation? And so forever, man is trying to get back into something that is more meaningful than himself or herself. We're looking for a, an experience of life that is so much greater than ourselves. And we don't realize that 
that experience is actually a relationship with God. Just as God breathed in the garden on that clay and made it come alive, God wants to breathe on our lives today and make us come alive. And Jesus said it so well. You see, he tied what he did on the cross to the way God's spirit comes into us and makes us alive, the breath of God. He says in John 7, 37, this is in Jerusalem. So Jesus is at this feast and it's the climax of the feast and there's a lot of religious fervor. In other words, all the pilgrims are there seeking a closer relationship with God, seeking merit in the act of their contrition and their you know, display of, of wanting to be with God in that moment. That's what religion does. It makes you work and you feel good about that and you want to be close to God, but you want to do it in your own strength. And so picture the mass of people there who have the right hunger, but they're going to the wrong place to get it. And Jesus stands up and says on the great and last day of the feast, if anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Rivers. Now he said this about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him would receive. Now let me say something about the way God wants us to hear. In those verses we read in Isaiah, he says it this way. He says, listen diligently to me. Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. That your soul may live. Ultimately what God wants is to revive our souls so that we can come back into a relationship with him in spirit and in truth. But most of us don't take the time to listen and press in. Look at the ways God wants us to listen. He says, listen diligently. Elsewhere in Proverbs 8, God says, those who seek me diligently will find me. God is promising. The one who is inviting us, he says, if you seek me diligently, you will find me. Don't stumble over this problem of sin and this reality that God is calling you spiritually dead and in need of him. Don't stumble over that. Allow yourself to be humble in your need and your thirst and your hunger and seek God diligently and you will find him. The second thing is it says, delight yourself. Delight yourself. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you that deepest desire that all of us have of a relationship with God, a right relationship where there's peace and there's joy and there's goodness. You know, most of us desire so many things that, that you know, we think are going to bring some measure of happiness, and they do, but such, such a short while. You know, we've all been there. We've all purchased something and thought, this is going to make me happy. But, you know, it, it goes, grows old very quickly, and God is saying, you know, I will give you the thing you desire most, which is a life of peace with me, of goodness with me, of intimacy with me. I will give you that desire. And the third thing it says here is incline your ear. Lean in and listen to my words that will give you life so that your soul may live. Lean in. I love how Revelation 1.3 says, it's talking about God's word, that prophecy. And it says, blessed are those who hear the words of the prophecy 
and take what they hear to heart. That's significant, isn't it? To take it to heart. Don't just hear it. It's not just sound waves reverberating on your eardrums. It's, it's taking it to heart. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 that the people of Israel heard God's voice many times. But what they heard was of no value to them. Why? How is it you can hear God's voice and it be no, of no value? It says it was of no value to them because they didn't combine it with faith. They didn't combine what they heard with faith. That's what it means to incline your ear, to listen diligently, to delight yourself, is to open up your heart as you're listening to what is being said. Some of you are opening up your hearts even now as you're receiving God's word. You're hearing his voice and you're saying yes. I remember when a team from our church, uh, it was a medical team, we went to Jordan and Lebanon to do some medical clinics among the Syrian refugees there. And we were in the Bekaa Valley in this huge refugee camp. And there was this uh, South Korean missionary who was doing phenomenal work among the children. He would uh, gather the children every afternoon for about an hour into this room. And I mean, it was full. There were like 70 children in there. There's not any more space. And they would be singing and there would be Bible stories and crafts. And I mean, he was really doing a good job. The kids loved it. And I stepped out uh, just to get some fresh air and kind of just take in the, the, the refugee camp. And, and I, I was standing there and I looked over and I saw this eight, eight or 10-year-old girl standing there. And I thought... I'm going to go over and practice my Arabic, what little I know. And I went over to her and I said, you know, you can go in. Why don't you go in with the kids, the other kids? And she shook her head. And I said, no, no, you can go in. And no, she shook her head. She said, my parents won't let me. I'm not allowed. And, you know, my heart sank for her. And I was just kind of taking that in. And then she looked at me again with a huge smile on her face. And she said, but I know all the songs. I know all the words to those songs. I sing them all the time. And then she said, and I know Jesus. I believe in him. You see, she had added to what she was hearing faith. She had heard and she had taken it to heart. Many other people had walked by and heard the songs. They might have even stopped to think, what's going on in there? And then they kept walking. You see, they didn't take it to heart. They didn't add faith to what God says. So this process of, of listening to God's invitation isn't straightforward. I want you to know that. And if we're going to be a culture of invitation towards others, we have to be patient in that process and love people while they're still trying to discern what this means for them. But you know, ultimately it's so that their soul may live. This is what God is after, a living soul in you and in me. And he said, Jesus said it this way, you know, that the Holy Spirit will come if you believe in him, if you add faith to the words that Jesus speaks to you, the very next thing that will happen to you is that the Holy Spirit will come into your life and your spirit will live, your soul will come alive to the things of God like never before. And so Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will become in you like rivers of living water. Some of us, when we're thirsty, you know, we take a few sips and we think, oh, that feels so good. But this is an overflowing spirit. 
want you to know the spirit of the kingdom of God is an overflowing spirit. He wants so much more for us than we often have the faith to ask for. But I want to say three things of what the Holy Spirit does when he starts breathing upon your life. There's a lot more you could say about this, but I just want to mention three. When Jesus breathes on your life and makes your soul come alive, he reconnects your life in the same moment to the finished work of Jesus that happened 2,000 years ago, in the same moment, and to the reality of being seated with Christ in the heavenly realms at the Father's side, in, in the Father's presence. You see, the Holy Spirit is not bound by space or time. The Holy Spirit is the very Spirit of God. He is God. And so the Holy Spirit is spanning all of creation and all of the sequence of time all in one moment. And so some people will say, you know, when they're starting to think about these things, they'll say, well, what relevance does something that happened 2,000 years ago you say Jesus died on the cross, but what relevance does that have for my life? Well, the Holy Spirit makes all of God's activity of all time immediately relevant to your life in the moment. See, when Jesus breathes his spirit on you, you start to understand. And that's why in some moments of worship, you've probably had this experience even here. You can be singing a song and the verse, one verse will be about Jesus suffering on the cross for you, and you're moved to tears thinking about the reality of that as though you are standing right there at the cross going through that moment with Christ. And then the next verse can be about Jesus sitting on his throne in heaven, ruling and reigning, and you are just worshiping him in joyful exuberance for the fact that he is sovereign, the fact that he is in control of your life. Do you see that? That the Holy Spirit can do all that in a moment. The Holy Spirit brings all that God has done and makes it real. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is he infuses your life with the power of Jesus' resurrection and at the same time inspires your faith with the reality of God's coming kingdom. He infuses your life with power resurrection power and he fills you with faith to believe that God is on his throne and able to fill the world with his purposes and glory that's why friends you can be going through the depths of despair as you experience a horrendously painful ordeal in life great loss perhaps and yet in that moment you can still know that God is good and that God is in control and that he has not abandoned you and that he will even use those circumstances as difficult as they are and some of you are experiencing them even now. He can use those circumstances to bring about something good in your life and something glorious. It's hard when you're going through it but Holy Spirit in you is reminding you all the time. Trust while you're going through this. And finally, the Holy Spirit causes God's ancient words spoken thousands of years ago to, take, to become so relevant in the moment you are in 
that it's almost like they become written on your heart. They're so personal. They're so, they're so profound in that moment. They give you such wisdom and guidance. And so many people say, you know, the Bible, why do you read it? It's so antiquated. It's so old. What could possibly be relevant to the 21st century? And you're thinking, oh, if you only knew. If you only knew how those words written so long ago become like food that nourishes my soul today. See, the Holy Spirit does that. And when you've experienced that, friends, you never want to go back. You never want to go back to trying to figure out life on your own. What you live for daily is the, the joy of hearing the Father's voice spoken into your life, saying, here's the way, walk in it, son. Here's the way, go this way, daughter. I love you. My hand is on your life. Don't fear. I've got this. Trust. And you know the goodness of God like never before. See, Holy Spirit does that too. Is your soul alive? Is your soul alive? That's what Jesus wants to give us. That kind of soul life in the presence of the Father. So that when we invite people in, we don't just talk about what the gospel is in an abstract way. We actually are a demonstration together of it. It's, I picture it a bit like, you know, a hot air balloon festival. If you've ever gone to one of those. You know, when you show up early, there's not much to look at. It's just a, a field with uh, just random baskets turned over. And then, you know, bundles of uh, nylon just stretching out. Lifeless, limp. It's actually quite unattractive. You could drive by it and never know it was there. But when that warm breath, that warm air has done its work in each one of those balloons, they fill up and they rise up majestically. It's, it's just beautiful. It's, it's amazing to see these hot air balloons, sometimes 30, 40, 50 of them, rising up from this field and they start to drift across the landscape. And I think that's a picture that we can grab a hold of that the reason God is so desirous of, of, of us to be soul, souls filled with life, his life, Holy Spirit's life, his breath, so that our lives rise up majestically and in, in such beauty draw attention to who Jesus is and what he can do. And in so doing, we invite people in, come and see, come and taste. If you're thirsty, you're hungry, join us. Who are you inviting in? Are you inviting anyone in? That's the last question I want to ask briefly as we close. As we grow into becoming this culture of invitation because we know the Father's heart, who are we inviting in? It's such a delight to walk with people in their questions and in their struggles and be a voice that God can use, be a, a source of comfort and love. And so we don't have time to read through Isaiah 54, but if you gather with others, and maybe in a life group or a, a small group or just with two or three, I would encourage you to read through Isaiah 54 because Isaiah 54 describes what a life looks like that has received the breath of the Holy Spirit through what Jesus did on the cross. See, when we preach the good news, the gospel is Jesus on the cross and everything he's done on the cross and the Holy Spirit coming in and bringing all of that into your life. That's the good news. Well, this is a picture. Isaiah is painting a picture for us of what that life looks like. First, your barrenness 
will give way to faithfulness, to fruitfulness. Your barrenness will give way to fruitfulness. That's what it says in Isaiah 54, 1 to 3. Sing, O barren one, you who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let the curtains of your habitation be stretched out. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and the people and, and will people or populate the desolate cities. Do you see that? Your barrenness, whatever barrenness you had in your life will be transformed into fruitfulness. Next, your shame and disgrace will be washed away by God's intimate love. We don't have time to read those descriptions, but I'm just giving you the highlights. Any shame you've had, any disgrace, we've all had that. God will wash away in his intimate love. Third, your rejection. How many of us have been rejected? How many of us have been, um, you know, alienated, pushed away? God says your rejection will be replaced by tender compassion. That's who he is. Fourth, he will be like a faithful husband. God, like a faithful husband, will commit his everlasting love to you. You know, I think I've been to four weddings already this spring. And, and you know, but there's something about that moment. doesn't matter how many weddings you go to. That moment when the husband and wife are speaking their promises. And this is God, like a husband to you, saying, I will speak promises over your life that have eternal consequences, everlasting love. And finally, your battered storm life. How many of us have felt like, you know, there's just, it's just a train wreck. We've, we've had one thing after another happen to us. And there's nothing we feel we can be proud of. And God is saying, come to me. Your storm-battered life will be adorned with beauty. And he gives the picture of a city that he is building, building where even the walls and the foundations are made with jewels and gems. That's how generous and gracious God is to us. And you will be eternally secure. Some of you here, I would say in a, in a crowd this size, some of you are, are fighting. You've, you're tired of fighting, actually. You're tired of fighting. You feel like a storm-tossed city after a hurricane has come and just devastated it. After all your efforts, you feel empty, you feel overlooked, you feel abandoned, neglected. You've tried everything, but you've never called on Jesus. Well, you're in the right place. He's here, waiting. Others of you have fallen away from the faith you once had. For a season, you wanted to be your own master, your own king. You wanted to be free from all the rules, right? Determine your, old des your own destiny. But in all honesty, when you're laying in bed at night and it's dark and quiet and it's just you and your thoughts, where has that led you? Will you return to Jesus today? He's waiting with open arms. I want to ask the um, worship team to come forward. We're going to have a time of worship couple songs, but I want to also invite you to respond because it's an invitation. If, if there's any thirst or any hunger whatsoever in your life, here's what God says. Seek the Lord 
while he may be found. Seek him, call, call upon him, come near. Let the wicked forsake his ways. Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Let us return to the Lord that he may have compassion on us. Let us return to our God and he will abundantly pardon. I don't care what it is you're hungering for or thirsting for, but come to Jesus. I would, I would encourage you to come forward. Receive prayer. You know, part of being a culture of invitation is that we also model our own hunger and thirst for God. I, don't, I hope you never feel like you're content, that you're satisfied, that you never have to go forward to receive anything. I would love for us to be a people that are always pressing in for more of God. And so if there's anything you want prayer for, just come forward and ask. And we're trusting God to do amazing things. Would you come? Thank you.